Um, if you have a Bible with you, can I, can I encourage you to open it to the book of Matthew? Matthew chapter 11, or, yep, chapter 11, verse 25. Uh, we're going to be looking at kind of famous words of Jesus where he promises to bring rest, but let's, if you have a Bible with you, please open it to Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, and let's hear God speak to us. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is God's word. Amen. We're probably very familiar with these words of, of Jesus' offer of rest. And I want to ask you a question this morning. How are you? How are you? And now I'm not going to ask you to raise hands because we're Presbyterians, but I wonder how many of you, when asked that question, how are you, wanted to say, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm fine, just busy, just busy. How many of us have ever answered that question with that answer, we're fine, everything's going well, we've, we've no complaints, we're just busy. It's funny that as a society, we begin to feel like we're getting busier and busier. Um, in the 1960s and 70s, there was a think tank put together to deal with a problem that they saw coming in future generations. They began to see the rise of different technologies, such as white goods in the kitchens, like dishwashers. When we bought our house at the minute, one of the main things we looked for was there's space for a dishwasher, because there's two stages in Zoe and my marriage, which is pre-dishwasher and post-dishwasher. Um, they're revolutionary machines, aren't they? But they saw the technology coming, such as dishwashers and washing machines, things that we are take for granted now, but were sizable introductions into the household over the past century. They began to see rise in things like the automobiles so people didn't have to walk anymore or, or ride a horse places. They began to see the, the, amounts, the, or the amount of expendable income people began to have and were able to buy more and more technology, be able to keep up more and more with the world around them and rely less and less on the heavy labor that they'd had in generations past. And the problem that this select committee found and that they were preempting was that they figured by the 1980s and the 1990s, there will be a huge problem in the world. And that is in the Western world, there will be too much leisure. How many of you feel that today? So many of us probably feel that we have far too much to do and not enough time to do it. And we wish, we long that we lived in a world where there was a, maybe a, a 27 or a 30 hour long day because we then maybe feel we would get all things done. But we know deep down in our hearts, we would just fill those extra hours with all sorts of things. 
It's funny because technology told us that things would get better and we would have more free time, but yet we seem to get busier and busier and busier. And we live in a world and in a culture that says, you know, the world is your oyster. You can do anything you want. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Go do free, be create. But yet so many of us just feel busy. We feel worn out. And so many of us are just tired. And this morning in a world that says, go faster, go harder, grind more, work longer hours, push yourself, become the best you that you can become. As Christians, we have a very countercultural message. Because this morning, the message and the words that Jesus gave us is come to him and rest. Rest. We're going to look at that in two different ways this morning. Jesus highlights two things. And the first one is we see that there's a burden in this passage. Jesus, speaking to those around him, gives the invitation to come to him, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Whenever Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, what he's doing is he's contrasting his yoke and his burden with the culture and the world around him. A yoke, many of you uh, probably know what it is from watching Wild Westerns and things. A yoke is the thing that goes across your shoulder that helps you bear more and more weight. And when Jesus looked around the culture around him, he saw that there was a massive problem of people being overburdened by their yokes. Um, The religious sect called the Pharisees, who we've talked about before, the Pharisees, they wanted to impose extra laws, extra burdens upon the people of Israel. Um, in the Old Testament, there's 613 laws that are contained within the Bible, and, and a good Jew would try to follow them the best they could. But the Pharisees then had a stricter interpretation of the law, and they wanted to add extra laws on top of the 613 laws. Um, to try and make sure that you didn't break any of the laws that were in the Bible. And this was called the Qumran. And the Qumran laws consisted of all these extra biblical commandments that you had to follow if you wanted to be a good Jew in their eyes. And if you look around the passage that we've just read, look what follows immediately afterwards is a passage in teaching on the Sabbath where Jesus' disciples pick some ears of corn and eat them as they're walking through a field. Now, This was not breaking the Old Testament laws around Sabbath. This was not breaking the laws about observing the Sabbath and keeping it holy. But it was breaking one of these extra laws, these Qumrah laws that the Pharisees wanted people to follow. And the Pharisees got irate about it because they wanted people to follow these extra laws. And the people were simply overburdened. I wonder how many of you... (laughs) worried about how far you've walked this morning because the Pharisees would have, under these Qumran laws, made sure that people, everybody stayed within a certain step count for the day because if you walked too far, that counted as traveling and traveling was work. Whenever they met together to eat, they didn't just clean the parts of the bowl that people wanted, said should be cleaned according to the religious law, but they wanted it all cleaned. Why? Because they wanted these extra laws put upon the people 
so that they never broke the laws that were in the Bible. They put on these extra laws more and more, and everyone just felt overburdened by it all. And Jesus comes along after and says, this this yoke that you're carrying, these extra laws and these extra rules, they are a burden that are going to crush you. Maybe whenever you hear me talking about these extra biblical laws, you think, you know, this is exactly my problem with religion. This is exactly my problem with Christianity. Because we live in a culture that says that in order for you to be your true and best self, you need to be as free from any restraints as possible. You need to be free from as many rules as possible. And maybe some of you are sitting listening thinking, well, yes, the solution to this problem of too many rules is we get rid of all the rules. We get rid of all the religious rules. This is my problem with God. It's too much of a burden to carry around. This is my problem with Christianity. It's too many extra laws for you to follow. It's too many things that don't make any sense. This is my problem with it. It's good living for a living. It's just a whole pile of rules of people trying to make themselves feel better. The only way we'll really be free is if we put all this religion malarkey behind us and forget about the rules and do whatever we feel fits us best. But here's the thing. We are deceiving ourselves this morning if we think that the antithesis to religious rules is for us to go off and do whatever we want. Because whatever we do, we are worshiping something. And whatever we are worshiping will demand of us nothing but, it, nothing but our entire selves. There's a quote from David Foster Wallace, who I've quoted before, um, but I think it's a great quote. David Foster Wallace is a famous author. Um, he's not a Christian, but he was asked to invite at a commencement address in a university a few years ago, and he said this. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing out to worship is that anything else will eat you alive. Whether we want to admit it or not, we are all worshiping something here this morning. And if that something is other than God, it is going to eat us alive. If you don't believe me, maybe I can ask you another question this morning. Whenever you answer the question, how are you, and you say, I'm fine, why do you say, I'm fine? What is it about you that you are saying is fine? Because if we follow that trail, that's going to show us where the source of our rest and our hope and where the burden we are carrying is. Do we say that we are fine because we're able to keep up with our work at the minute? You know, we're hitting all the right quotas. We're able to keep on top of everything. But we go home at night and we're exhausted and we can't be bothered to spend time with the wife and kids. Do we say that we're fine because the kids are doing really well at school and they've got onto the local sports team? But we are exhausted and we're depressed and we're anxious. Do we say we're fine because we have no real big health problems that are worrying us at the moment? but we just can't be bothered to pray? Do we say that we're fine because we are able to maintain the outward veneer 
of respectability and having it all together. But at home, we're irritable, grumpy, and crabbit. And we have no joy left in this life. Do we say we're fine because our lives are full, but we find them thoroughly unfulfilling? I wonder if the question we should maybe ask as Christians whenever we meet together is not how are you, but how is your soul? How is your soul? How is your soul doing this morning? Do you feel free? Do you feel at rest? Or do you feel burdened? Jesus says, what does it profit for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? And I wonder if the busyness that we feel on a day-to-day basis, are we in the process of gaining the whole world but losing our souls in the process? What's the yoke you're toiling under? Whatever we are toiling under, can it give it the rest that we, we want it to be able to give us? We might be toiling and working towards being healthy people, watching what we eat, making sure we exercise regularly, thinking that one day we'll be able to rest and it will all be okay. But the reality is, and a cheery mood for a Sunday morning, death comes to us all, and your health will one day leave you. Do we rest in the fact that we are able to keep up with the demands at work and we've got a successful career? But then we have one of those bad weeks, we have one of those slip-ups, somebody gets promoted above us who we didn't expect, and the rest that we thought is ripped from us. Do we rest in our family, thinking, well, they'll always be there for us, knowing that we are one argument or one bereavement away for having so much of that taken away from us? Where are you resting this morning? What is the yoke that you are carrying? What is the burden that you are bearing? And what is the toil that you are working with every day, hoping that will give you rest? And deep down, you know that it won't. Where is that? Jesus says to you this morning, come to me, you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. We may carry burdens, but there is a promise in this passage of rest. There is good news to this sermon. Don't worry, it's not all me trying to make you feel bad. Um, Rest, rest is bound up in the gospel. There's two amazing ways we see rest at work in the Christian life. And the first one is we see rest is bound up in, in the gospel because part of salvation is rest. There's a question from the Westminster Shorter Catechism that I quote all the time, but I, I, if I can get you to come away from my time here and have this impressed upon your mind, I will have succeeded. The question that gets asked is, what is faith in Jesus Christ? And the answer, and I would love it if you could all memorize this, because it does so much good for your soul. The answer is that faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we rest or we, we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he has held out to us in the gospel. What is salvation in Jesus Christ? It is receiving Jesus, 
receiving what he has done, receiving the fact that he has earned God's pleasure and delight for you that you could never earn yourself, receiving his forgiveness, receiving the hope and forgiveness and freedom from sin that happens through Jesus' death on the cross, receiving that and not just believing it, not just assenting to it, not just holding it in our brains as some abstract truth, but letting it become a truth that you can rest into. Letting it become a truth that allows you to rest and know that you are forgiven and that there is a value and a delight from God that rests upon you because of your receiving Jesus that you cannot earn. That there is nothing you need to add to your salvation. There's nothing you need to get your toe over the finish line. It is done, completed, and finished by Jesus on the cross. And he says to you, rest in what I have done. Rest. The second way that we have this rest is not just through salvation, but I think it is in how we conduct ourselves as Christians on a day-to-day basis. Do you find your Christian life as one of rest or one of toil? When you sit down with your Bible in the morning to read and pray, do you feel that you are resting in that moment or do you feel you're trying to tick a box because you feel this is what a Christian should do? Whenever we are in the mindset of not resting in Jesus, we will take all of the things that are meant to give us rest in him and we will turn them into work and toil and we will make ourselves weary with them. Whenever we feel bad, rather than resting in the good news of Jesus' forgiveness, we will chastise ourselves for our sin and feel that the only way we'll be forgiven is if we, we feel guilty enough about it. Rather than resting in knowing that we cannot add to our salvation, we will lament the fact that we don't read our Bibles or pray enough. Rather than resting in knowing that God already delights in us, we will constantly feel we need to earn his pleasure. That's what working and toiling rather than resting looks like. Do you notice why Jesus says we can rest in him? If you look down with me, he says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Jesus is gentle and humble with heart. And God is far more gracious with you than you probably are with yourself. And the constant repetition we see throughout the Bible is that for God's people, God is abounding in steadfast love, mercy, and forgiveness. And the Savior we come to is not a Savior who's trying to trip you up, but he's a Savior who we read about in Isaiah, who we are told a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Are you weary? Come to him and rest. I think one of the difficulties that we have as a society now is that we have no space for going to Jesus and resting in the truths that are held out to us in the gospel. There was an article that was written a few years ago called I Used to Be a Human Being um, by a guy called um, Andrew Peterson, I think it was off the top of my head. 
And in the article, he begins to talk about how with the invention of the smartphone and basically having infinity in his pocket, he has lost the chance to be able to sit by himself in a room and be quiet. And one of the comments he makes halfway down the article, and he's not a Christian writer, but it's interesting he makes this observation. He says that one of the biggest challenges that will face Christians today is not secularism, is not people not believing in God, is not the tides that we think are maybe at work in our culture, but it is a constant distractedness that means that we are never given the peace and the space to rest, remain, and reflect on the good news of the truth of the gospel. How many of us know that to be true? How many of us have a little device in our pocket that pings every time we want a moment's solace and scoops up every spare minute we might have and rips from us the rest and the peace that we might have in Jesus? Can I encourage you prioritize time resting and reflecting on this truth that Jesus offers us rest in the gospel. I've been working in churches for probably about 10 years now. And as a result of having spent quite a few times in placements in various congregations is that I've spent a lot of time at deathbeds. And I've come to see there are two types of deathbed. There's the deathbed of the person who is scared for their family, who loves their family deeply and is scared of what they will do whenever they're gone, but knows and trusts and rests in the truth that they're going to meet their Savior soon. And there is a peace there, a peace that their family takes solace in, even if they don't believe the gospel themselves. And there's a peace there as they recognize that the rest that they have been working on their whole lives is about to become fully realized when they meet their Savior. And the second type of deathbed is the deathbed where in those last few days, the person begins to realize that everything that they have been trusting in their entire lives, everything that they have putting their rest and hope in for their whole life is about to be stripped away from them. That is the hardest thing you will ever witness. Jesus' offer is rest. Rest that you can know now. Rest that you will know in the future. And rest that will one day become fully realized when you meet him face to face. There's a wonderful old hymn that begins with this verse. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Can I encourage you this morning? Turn your eyes upon Jesus and rest in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel, that there is rest in you. Father, help us find our rest in you. Would that be the truth that we build our whole lives upon? And would we know that Jesus is the greatest rest, the greatest hope, and the greatest treasure that we could ever have? 
And Lord, would he abide in us deeply. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.